Hi, I'm Allie. And I'm Noelle. And And we're we're licensed licensed to gossip. Get ready for a juicy breakdown of pop culture and the law with two attorney besties. We won't be giving any legal advice, but we are here to have a good time. So let's get into it. Uh, So let's jump into it today. Allie, what the fuck happened since our last episode? A lot has happened, and um, I will just start off by saying we are going to be talking about some AI authorship issues today because a lot of people have been texting me about that. Like, are you going to do an episode about this on the pod? And Mm -hmm. it's finally here. Um, But before we jump into that, I think we have to mention Ed Sheeran's lawsuit. Um, yes. Yeah, if you got, if you haven't heard, Ed Sheeran is being sued for copyright infringement by Ed Townsend's estate for his song "Thinking Out Loud," which you know the plaintiffs are claiming is ripping off Marvin Gaye's "Let's Get It On." Um, a lot of people think it's Marvin Gaye that's the estate that's suing, but it's Ed Townsend's estate because Ed Townsend was, like, oh, the writer it. of the song. He was the writer. Mm-hmm. Got it. Got it. Okay. It feels late. Like, Thinking Out Loud came out a while ago. Well, the reason it seems like Ed Townsend's estate brought this lawsuit is because I guess Ed Sheeran had a performance um, sometime within the past few years. I don't know exactly when, but he did a mashup of Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On with Thinking Out Loud, and I guess it kind of drew attention to some of the similarities between the two songs. And that is what kind of inspired them, I guess, to, to sue him. Um, I got it. So it's actually him performing the two together in one of his own concerts. Yes. Like, so he, which he's been, you know, as part of his defense, he's like, if I did rip this song off, like, why would I have drawn attention to it so publicly by performing them together? Um, right. But of course, for our listeners, it doesn't matter. Ed Sheeran did not have to intend to rip off the song in order for it to be found copyright infringement um so we won't get into all of that because it's a really confusing area of the law but if you are interested um let us know maybe we can do a future episode on it um but yeah did you see too that he gave the jury in the courtroom like a little mini concert (laughs) yes i i heard about that and i wish we had a video of this but yeah he apparently like pulled out his acoustic guitar and like serenaded the whole courtroom. Lucky. Everyone mad about their jury duty got a free Ed concert. Who could be mad about (laughs) jury duty when, you know, you get to see Ed Sheeran? I think that's so fun. Also, hello for a music copyright suit. I think that's so interesting. You know, it's not like you got Mm -hmm. called in for like just any old like personal injury case or something. Right. Um. Super fun. But yeah, so maybe by the time this episode drops, we'll have a verdict. We don't currently have one. Um, But Ed Sheeran has said that he is quitting the music industry if he loses this lawsuit. (laughs) (laughs) When he still has this whole tour. I know, like he's doing his whole, what is it, subtract tour? Yeah, subtract. So I guess he has kind of run out of math symbols. (laughs) Oh, there's (laughs) always more. He just needs to get into the calc or something. (laughs) Next one will be derivatives. Oh, like square ro- <laughs> yeah, square root. <laughs> yeah. And other kind of musical-related news, there was mm-hmm. this Drake weekend AI song that yes. blew up on TikTok a few weeks back. Um, I think it was called Heart on My Sleeve. 
I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I saw. I didn't get a chance to listen to it because they took it down. They super took quick, it down really so. quickly, but it still managed to get like over 600,000 streams on Spotify before it was taken down, um, which is wild to me. It seems like a lot. I know. Yeah, I, I really, don't know how normal Spotify streams. Right. I mean, I don't. <laughs> that's like I don't think an a, like <laughs> average people who just post random songs don't just get 600,000 streams like that. Um, so this song yeah. was just really, really popular, and I did try to find it like I found like a poor quality clip of it on YouTube because they've really been policing taking this down um and honestly mm-hmm. it's a bop it sounds so good <laughs> Ooh, okay send it to me I yeah to I'll send it. you it sounds really good I'm like wait can we get I like in legit can we get a Drake weekend mashup because I love this um yeah, maybe they'll meet now to talk about it. Do a I know that would be crazy. That would be fun. I mean, honestly, like, so it sounds like the song itself um, was the underlying like music was apparently not written by AI. It was written by like a human, um, which is kind of mm-hmm. going to be what we're talking about today. But um, this case or this, you know, this song would kind of deal actually more with like the right of publicity issue that we dealt with in our Elvis episode. So the AI right. part of the song was actually the creation of the of Drake and the Weeknd's voices. So right. Yeah, and they obviously didn't give that permission right. to have their voices right. Created and that especially way. for, you know, mm-hmm. a super famous singer and rapper, like their voice is a very iconic part of their image. It's part of their name image likeness. So I mm-hmm. think that this could pretty clearly meet the facts of misappropriation of name, image, likeness, like we talked about in Elvis, because yeah. like you said, like they did not get permissions from Drake or The Weeknd to use it. And I don't know, 600,000 streams, like for t- potentially commercial exploitation there. Some money coming in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's super interesting. Well, we'll see. Like you mentioned, that's what we're going to be talking about, AI, in the context of authorship. And I guess let's let's take a step back before we dive in and just break down what is AI, because I feel like it, it can encompass so many of those things, right? Like you just mentioned that example with the voices, but it can really be anything. So AI stands for artificial intelligence, as many people know. And I just kind of found like a concise definition of it, but one of the definitions I found was perceiving, synthesizing, and entering information by a non-human or non-animal brain or a brain-like device, like a machine, using computer science, using algorithms, that kind of thing. So, So yeah, so this can be found in lots of different forms. It basically is a system that's trying to predict what a human brain would do, would decide in a situation or would problem solve. Um, and there's there's several examples of it out there. Um, there's one that I found. I don't know if our listeners have heard of Google's sort of experimental version. It's called Bard. I feel like everyone's um, heard about this now. Like the Bard is everywhere. Yeah, it's one of the bigger it's ones. everywhere. It's still in the experimental phase. You can sign up for it if you have it. And there was a long wait list for it, which now I think that you can get in. Um, But they call it their creative and helpful collaborator. And it's supposed to do a lot of great things. Um, Apparently, you can put in like the list of things that you need to do for the week or like vacation itinerary items, packing list, and it'll like come up with your whole 
agenda either for like a trip or just a week oh, wow. of work and it's like a yeah. little virtual assistant exactly for those of us yeah, who can't afford little... to pay real assistance <laughs> <laughs> a VA yeah it's like your own little personal VA um you can put in like what ingredients you have currently in the house and ask it to come up with a recipe for you for dinner and it'll do that Um, So it's super interesting. Um, I actually did a little experiment with it myself and asked it to write a sonnet for me that I was going to share. No way. Okay. (laughs) I'm dying to hear. (laughs) Yes. So So I put in our tagline. I asked it to write a sonnet about a juicy breakdown of pop culture and the law by two attorney besties. Love that. All right. Are you you ready? Are you ready for this? I so. I'm nervous. (laughs) (laughs) A little spoken word moment. Um, Okay, here we go. I'm going to read it. The law and pop culture, a sonnet. Two attorneys, best friends from law school, discuss the latest pop culture news. The first, a litigator, is quick to rule the latest celebrity scandal a mess. The second, a corporate lawyer, is more amused by the latest pop star's feud. It's all just marketing, she says with a smirk. They know exactly what they're doing. The first shakes her head. You're too cynical, she says. These people are hurting. (laughs) They're making millions, she replies. They can handle it. They argue back and forth, but in the end, they both agree that pop culture is a great way to learn about the law. After all, what is the law but a reflection of our society? And what is pop culture if not a mirror of our times? Wow. Okay. The (laughs) The end end is like, actually, that's poetic. (laughs) Pop culture is a mirror of our times. The laws are a reflection (laughs) of our society. Like, wow. They really went for it, Bard. Wow. Okay. They did. I also feel like yeah, that conversation so. kind of reflected us. I feel like I was the cynical right. <laughs> attorney. Yeah. yeah. And you were the and one. The whole, and our Prince Harry you were one. The one. Like, You're... they're hurting. <laughs> they're hurting, Allie. And I'm like, they have money. They can handle it. <laughs> I'm like, Prince Harry was alone crying with no one. You're like, he had I'm servants. like, yeah, what about the servants? <laughs> he had someone. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm like, wait, this is kind of accurate. The only thing I had to change was the pronouns used he, him. No, she, her. It misgendered us. I can't deal with that. I know. Oh, stupid sexist bard assuming that we're just because we're attorneys that we're men. Exactly. This just goes to show that even AI is prone to human error. Okay, it's these algorithms are created Mm -hmm. by, I mean, they are created by men. The Google Bard is, yeah, like the godfather of AI. I don't know. He had a big deal. I I forget his name. But then one of the big Google, like, creators just recently quit. I don't know if you heard about this, but he quit. Yeah, I did see that. He's like, Mm -hmm. AI is already being misused and going too far. Like, after just... Yikes. Releasing it. Yeah, that's so – and it's it's not comforting when it's the creators who are, I like, know. the first ones jumping ship. That's you know? terrifying to me. So <laughs> – Yeah. Yes. No, well, we'll see what happens. I mean, to that point, I feel like AI does have that sort of fine line between being used for good and being used for – evil i guess quote unquote i mean you know this this is obviously a super fun way to use it where it can help us in our daily lives like create these kind of short stories or poems or help us with scheduling like those things could be really useful 
Um, but you know, they could also be used for, I don't even, my mind doesn't even want to go to all the levels that it can be used. Yeah. But, I mean, obviously plagiarism, like stealing other people's stuff, like it could definitely of course. be used And there are too. like ongoing lawsuits suing different AI, like creators for copyright infringement, because there are some artists basically alleging that like in order for AI to like create the images or the stories that they've created, that they based the algorithm basically took copyrighted material and like ingested it and then vibed off that to then create whatever it did so yeah so there's a lot wild yeah Yeah, school teachers are gonna have to really be on this I feel like coming up with like plagiarizing things you know like paper essays assignments like I feel like before you could just copy and paste something in and find it quickly and now it will be a lot more challenging. Students are going to be not super motivated to do their homework and just, I know, I didn't even think about that. Oh no, poor school teachers. They have enough on their plates right now. Right. (laughs) I know there's so much going on. They don't need this new technology coming in. I did not think of that. Yeah. But but yeah, it can be used for a lot of good too. I know that you were talking about the Drake Weekend song with the voices, um, but there was something good that it used with a voice that I wanted to bring up. Um, I'm sure everybody saw the new Top Gun Maverick movie. Which is released um, almost last a year, year ago. Last year or two years no, ago? No, it was last year. Yeah, a year ago. Okay. Yeah, that's wild. Um, but Val Kilmer's voice in that was completely AI generated from previous clips of him talking. Um, and, and yeah, using AI generated material they recreated his voice because I'm sure many people know that he's no longer able to use his voice now mm-hmm. um, because of his cancer. So yeah, it, it's it's cool that they were able to do that. And, um, you know, that was a really meaningful part of the film to be able to have oh, yeah. that they wouldn't have otherwise been I know. able to. I, his, his appearance in the film is so sweet. I mean, I'm sure everyone's seen Top Gun Maverick because it was like the biggest movie last year probably. And um he yeah he can't talk at all anymore and the Mm -hmm. ai voice well tom cruise like insisted like val kilmer has to be in this movie or i'm walking kind of thing which i love that um but they basically that the ai that created val kilmer's voice like used like you said clips of him like old clips of val kilmer talking um but i guess there was also like copyright issues there because they were they had to use clips that were like that they either licensed or that the studio already had like copyright to so that they weren't committing mm-hmm. like further copyright infringement in the movie by using basically those old clips of him through the AI. Wow. It's, it's, it's a really interesting process for sure. Mm-hmm. And that's so yeah, wild. That, well, I'm glad that they took the time. Totally. To yeah, I think that it. was that's a great example of like it being used for good. Mm hmm. Yeah, and then I was thinking of a not so great example too, but I'm sure you remember this happened kind of a couple years ago, but there was talks about recreating an AI version of James Dean for a new movie coming out and actually like recreating not just his voice but his whole image utilizing past footage and utilizing some um, impersonators too of his voice today. Wow. And people kind of went wild over that and shut that down. So I, I don't know if, if that's still going to be on the books. But several actors were very upset and were like, no, this is not OK. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see actors and actresses saying basically like, no, I will not work along this AI version of James Dean because it's like taking a role away from a real living human actor that deserves to 
you know, mm-hmm. get this role and be paid for it. So, yeah, I, I do think it's a little – it seems yeah. a little exploitative um, to do that of so someone too. who's dead, but <laughs> – yeah, yeah, it's definitely one thing when you're adding it like in the Val Kilmer situation to enhance something, you know, like somebody is there and very much able to still preside over it and give their input. But this would be creating an entire character yeah. from somebody who is not here. So. And then creating so, another yeah. little name image likeness, right, of publicity issue potentially, I know. which I guess it depends yeah. on how long. I don't remember when James Dean died. Because remember, there is that yeah, statute of limitations in California. So mm-hmm. if it's been like 70 years be or something that. since he died, then right. free game, I guess. But yikes. Still, I, <laughs> just because we should yikes. doesn't mean – or doesn't mean mm-hmm. just because we can doesn't mean we should <laughs> do it. Totally. Yeah. So there's so much to come with AI down the road. And there's going to be a lot that the legal system and the copyright office has to figure out while this is being used a lot more. And one of those issues, as you mentioned, is who is the author of these works? So that's what we're going to be talking about is who is the author? Is it the person who created the software, created the algorithm? Is it the person who inputted something into it that, you know, was the, I guess, like driving force? Is it the system itself can it be a non-human i I think it's 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 a fascinating question and one that like desperately needs to be answered like soon because there are so many of these ai generated works that are just entering the world right now and like i think for example there's like like the ai songs ai created art or photos remember that trend where like people were posting like self-portraits of themselves looking like a rembrandt painting and like Mm-hmm. various like yeah like the pop, pop art yeah which was too. all like ai yeah. generated um there's ai authored books like the poem that you made there's just so many um ai created art forms right now that i think everyone's asking like how are these going to be protected are they going to be protected at all um and mm-hmm. there's a seminal totally. case that we talked about in our copyright law class in law school and i'm just going to call it the monkey selfie case um and <laughs> I know I won't get too, too into like all the analysis in the case, but basically the underlying facts were there was this wildlife photographer and he really wanted to get a picture of this monkey, but he was trying to like be creative and trying to get the monkey to basically like interact with him and take a selfie of himself. So, oh, and the monkey's name was Naruto, by the way, I think it's so cute. Yes. So this kind of this case came about because um, PETA, the animal rights group, not PETA Malark from The Hunger Games. Not the baker. PETA (laughs) was trying to claim copyright ownership on behalf of Naruto, and which is just kind of really funny. Um, Like saying that he should be the owner of his selfie that he took for the basically they were saying naruto should be the owner of the of the selfie the copyright in the selfie and that you know i guess they were like we'll also we'll we'll um enforce his the rights to his copyright like on behalf of naruto kind of thing got Um, it so wild so uh the ninth circuit which was the court in this in this case basically took the stance that in order to be an author of a work under the Copyright Act, because in order for someone to be copyrighted, there needs to be an author. Um, But so in order to be an author, you have to be human. And 
I think this is obviously applicable in this AI context. The question is, how will it be applied? So the Copyright Office agrees with the stance that this court took in this case. Um, And, you know, for those who aren't as familiar with jurisdiction, the Ninth Circuit, like that is, you know, over in like California, West Coast area. Um, So this is not the applicable law in the entire United States. Um, It's different. And this hasn't really been this hasn't really been addressed by the Supreme Court yet. So there's definitely, um, and and it could be potentially addressed by Congress at some point too. So yeah, with the it's so this isn't like hard cold fact, right? It's, of how this could be applied, right? In the like this is definitely still developing area of the law. There's no certainty here, um, but the Copyright Office does agree with that stance, um, and the Copyright Office is obviously influential in the world of copyright law. Um, and agrees and says that authorship requires human creativity. Um, so there's actually a pretty recent example of this happening um, where this author of a graphic novel submitted her work to the Copyright Office, um, which the Copyright Office is involved in approving or disapproving uh, copyrights. So she basically submitted an application to the Copyright Office looking to copyright her graphic novel. And initially you know, the copyright office granted her the copyright. And then Mm -hmm. at some point, the copyright office learned that the actually the images in the graphic novel were all AI generated. She did not create the images herself. Oh, okay. So she wrote the words herself, presumably, but not the images. Yeah, so she wrote- But submitted the copyright for the whole thing. She wrote the story. She wrote, Mm. you know, the words. She arranged the book. But she did not create the images. So the Copyright Office basically took away the copyright protection for the images, but let her keep the copyright protection for the arrangement and the storyline of the book. Okay. Um, Which I think is just really interesting because I think this is going to be coming up a lot more and she's – She's contesting this. She's like submitting an appeal, I guess, to the Copyright Office and trying to um, retain protection for her images because basically what happened is kind of like with what you did with the poem, but she used an AI um, software to basically input like she, it, her book is like a dystopian world um, starring a character that like looks exactly like Zendaya funnily enough so she basically (laughs) so it's Dan (laughs) (laughs) kind of um so she is she sent uh the copyright or sorry she sent the AI chat bot or whatever little prompts Mm -hmm. so like you sent the AI bot bard our tagline she basically sent image of a dystopian New York City with Zendaya standing in the center of a street and then the AI bot like created the the image for her and then she just you know copy pasted that into her graphic novel um and I, I so I think that the question posed by any of these any of these AI created works or even this the monkey selfie case is you know who mm-hmm. is causing that fixation I think some courts might have come out differently than the Ninth Circuit in the monkey selfie case because they might have found that because the photographer intentionally left the camera out, you know, hoping that the monkey would use it in this way, that, you know, the photographer essentially caused the monkey to take the photo. And therefore, maybe the photographer should be considered the author of the photo. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, that was needed for this to come about, right? Like the monkey would have never been like, I want to take a photo of myself and go purchase a camera and do it. Like all of these steps had to be laid out by the photographer in order for the selfie to come about. So to your question, like, is that enough that he caused the fixation? Like, did he truly do that? in the amount of work that he put right. in there. And I think it would be less of a controversial question if both the subjects we're talking about were human, right? So if like Definitely. I'm a photographer and I want to take a photo of you, but I'm trying to arrange it so it's like this super artsy, like natural, you know, take where I'm like, yes, I'm arranging it. Here's the room we're going to be in. Here's what you're going to be wearing. And this is the mm-hmm. camera. And I fix the settings and the lighting in the room and everything. The lighting, setting, right. attire. Right. But, then, yeah, I, but the then I hand the camera to you and I'm like, okay, now face the camera towards yourself and angle it down and take a selfie. I think that mm-hmm. there would not be much dispute in that circumstance that like I was the sort of I was the, you know, mastermind or the leader of that work and that I am the photographer. I am the author of that photo that you took, even though you're the one that ultimately clicked the button, because it's not just clicking that button that makes you the author of the work. Yeah. So. Right. Like you were directing it, mm -hmm. you know, you had that sort of creative control, so to speak. And that is where the courts have kind of drawn this line, I think, between who is the author and who isn't. Um, that what they've kind of used before is the standard of a substantial contribution versus creative control. So while it's not a black and white line, I think that example you just gave is a great one where like you definitely had creative control in that situation, even though I was the one, you know, pressing that final button similar to the monkey situation. But you had you were the mastermind, you had the creative control, you had the direction And that would fall a lot more under, you know, you being the author rather than me. Um, I I was kind of thinking of another example of this sort of in the film industry. I think this happens a lot, especially in the context of people doing historical dramas. I know we talked about The Crown in our last episode. Uh, We've talked about obviously the biopics before, but in any of those types of films, a lot of times they hire on an expert, you know, a historical expert so they can try to get the parts that are, you know, trying to be true in these films. Um, They're trying to get that as accurate as possible to help shape the fictional drama that's surrounding it. Yeah, so I think that those sort of historical dramas are a really good example of, um, you know, hiring somebody on who's an expert or a consultant who substantially contributes to the film in a very important and creative way, but they don't have the creative control of the film in order to be an author of any of the copyrights involved. Uh, We actually had a case about this in our copyright law class as well about the Malcolm X movie Mm -hmm. where they hired on somebody, yeah, who was an expert in Islam, both in the culture and the religion, and they had hired this person on to hopefully create, you know, as much of an accurate portrayal of those components of the religion as they could. And so... um, you know, that person was found to not be an author in in the copyright sense, you know, although they did contribute very substantially and they were very needed in the production of that film, it wasn't enough to meet that creative control element where they could be the author. In that circumstance, it was the director, Spike Lee, was like he Mm -hmm. had basically, I think he wrote the screenplay for that and everything. So like he was very much like in in the creative control, yes, of that, of that film. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. I think that that is, that is such a good example. Like this, obviously, this idea of what is a substantial contribution versus what gives you creative control and and as the mastermind of the work is kind of kind of going to be really important to determining whether, you know, whether these AI creative works, like who really is the author and then therefore who should receive the copyright protections. So, you know, really, really honing in on this question for, for AI, I think, you know, for those who don't know, because it is a, an algorithm, it is, it is a human created like work. It's a human created like written code. Um, the AI itself can be copyrighted. Um, but then, you know, this greater question. Separate from the works, you mean that it's producing, like the right, actual like the actual code AI that itself. creates yeah. the AI, the algorithm itself is copyrightable, mm-hmm. right? And so we know that this underlying code can be copyrighted, but can the work then created by that code be copyrighted? And I feel like this creates an additional wrinkle in this is that AI is a human creation, but AI itself isn't human. So can it be an author at all? And is instead, like, should we look at it like, should the works created by this AI be in a way considered derivative works of that code? Like, it, I, I really don't yeah, know the answer. Yeah, that's such a good point. <laughs> yeah, because it's so different from like what we talked about before with derivative works where you're going from a book to a movie or something like that. It's not like a direct translation from a code to a creative, you know, like a poem or something. Um, but it is, I mean, it does need that underlying code to produce that creative work. So it's super interesting. I love that you put it in that context of derivative right. works. I mean, it, it could be considered Maybe, one. like I feel like it doesn't neatly fit in, you know, what the statute says is a derivative work, but I don't know. I just think this area is so unique that, I just feel like we obviously need some direction. We need some case law. We need the courts. We need maybe Congress to step in and address this because, I mean, AI mm-hmm. has progressed so much in the last five years. I can't even imagine what it's going to look like five years from now. Like, I, I just think it's progressing at such a astronomical rate that we need to know the answers to these questions. Um, yeah. Cars driving themselves. It's yeah. Wild. It's just wild. <laughs> and I don't know, like from a policy standpoint, like stepping back, I don't, I feel like we, there's this question of like, if these AI created works are allowed to be copyrighted and fully, fully protectable, are we really incentive then incentivizing human artists to create new works, which I feel like is the purpose behind copyright law. Like is, is it furthering mm-hmm. creativity? Like you said, like, okay, this AI works or this this use of this AI can inspire artists to create things, that kind of thing. But if we're just, you know, putting in really basic, basic uses of this AI, like, please draw, draw a picture of a sunset, you know, to the AI. Mm-hmm. And then I'm trying to copyright that image of a sunset. I don't really feel like that's the kind of human creativity that copyright law is intending to incentivize. <laughs> Totally. Yeah, I feel like it's going to be a whole spectrum of where do you define that difference between the substantial contribution and the creative control. If it is just something simple you're putting in, like you said, draw me a sunset, I don't think that would be enough to be creative control. But if you're asking it to maybe outline a chapter of your book that you're writing and you give it a lot of specific detail Mm -hmm. of the characters and the plot and you use that as a starting point and then really write your own chapter from that outline – 
like then that seems like that could be an argument where you know, you do have the creative control there, even though you use the assistance of the AI to maybe help with writer's block or something. Um, So that might be a better argument for incentivizing artists to create. Uh, But yeah, I I think that's that's a totally good point that you're making. Will this really help in that arena? Uh, I, I thought about the going back to the Drake weekend song, you know, maybe this will convince them to work together and collaborate maybe they will create be like this was a hit I mean so let's do this (laughs) so let's do it I mean it is so advertises like collaborative software you know so maybe it will help people look at things in new ways and maybe other I know I'm trying to look on the optimistic side but I feel like really I'm scared yeah (laughs) I know I'm I'm terrified too I I feel like I love your example though of like having AI create an outline for you for like a chapter of your book and then using that to then flesh out the chapter I feel like that's a great example of like something that clearly would be protectable right because even if like that underlying Mm -hmm. outline was not protected um because let's say that the copyright office sticks on the stance like that cop the outline was created by ai so it's it's just not protectable it's not copyrightable um but all of those elements that you added when you fleshed it out into to being a full chapter of your book those are all human-made elements those can all be copyrighted just like we talked about in our pinocchio episode when you add creative elements to things that are in the public domain, those elements that you added are copyrightable, even Mm -hmm. if the initial stuff that's in the public domain is not copyrightable. So yeah, I don't know. I think that teeters the scale, you know, like using AI as a sketch or an inspiration. That's great. You know, you're, that's obviously furthering creativity. It's, you know, you're substantially adding human creative choices. That's a really strong case for copyright protection. But then, yeah, if you're just like, hey, AI, create a poem for me. And the AI creates right, a poem me. and then you're like, okay, I'm going to copyright this now. Like I, I just Bye. feel that from a policy standpoint, that should not be copyrightable. And yeah. on top of that, scary. if we allow these like the creators of these AI algorithms to be like joint owners of the copyright just because they created this algorithm. I mean, imagine how many copyrights would then be owned by Google, would then be owned by Microsoft who have the two biggest AI softwares right yeah. now. That's really it's scary terrifying. to think it's about. It's terrifying. Yeah, because that's a, a concept that exists already. I mean, there's – like we talked about this with Taylor Swift, how, you know, a lot of times there's a team of writers on a song. So it's not always – it doesn't always have to be one mm-hmm. individual owning each copyright. It can be multiple joint authors. That's a great point. What if there's a way for, you know, the creator of the algorithm and the creator of the final product to be co-authors, joint authors, but – yeah, yeah that, that's scary. It's definitely a possible Google solution, but <laughs> <laughs> I think realistically, yeah. like we probably uh. don't want them to be monopolizing mm-hmm. copyright. So no, yeah, Disney will be creating their own AI software real quick. <laughs> <laughs> so they can own a bunch more IP. <laughs> well, L2G babes, yeah. we can't wait to hear your thoughts on this. I think this is a super interesting um, development in the law and also I just feel like society is going to change like a lot are you scared because because I'm scared (laughs) yeah we're scared give us some reassuring thoughts and share with us some of your AI poems that yes we We want to oh my gosh yes okay (laughs) let's do a little contest okay like submit an AI generated poem to us and the best poem (laughs) we will select a winner share it on our socials and then we'll send you we'll send you something in the mail we'll send you a treat <laughs> a little present yeah we'll send a little present let's do it it'll be fun <laughs> yes okay noel let's do let's do smash or pass 
<laughs> I feel like we're do done. It. We're yes. done. Um, yeah, spiraling out of control. We're done with, with AI. AI. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to think about it anymore. Slash your fast. Do you have one to bring for us? I do. I do have one, and I think at the time this is being released, it'll have been the show has been fully out for like a month now. Um, okay. But smash your pass jury duty the show not the civil duty <laughs> not the civil not the obligation civil. <laughs> <laughs> well I'm gonna say both are a smash well that's cute I love that <laughs> um but yes I watched it because you told me I had to watch it I know I was a little <laughs> late to the game <laughs> but I love it James Marsden is my favorite part of it he's, he's hilarious. undoubtedly hilarious <laughs> for those who haven't seen the show please go watch it it is on Amazon freebie um, so it's like totally free to watch. Yes, you will have to deal with a couple ads, but it's really not that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has to deal it has to do with this fictional court case um, and this fictional jury. And but then like one person in the jury is a real person and he doesn't know that everyone around him is an actor and that it's all fake. And it is so <laughs> fucking funny. Like the first couple episodes, I was like dying laughing. <laughs> it's really good. I was too. Like I was laughing out yes. loud. And that doesn't usually no. happen. Like not just a little giggle. Like I was yes. Like I up. was watching it by myself <laughs> cackling like a hyena. It is mm-hmm. really, really funny. And James Marsden plays this like completely like douchebag, you know, Hollywood version <laughs> of himself. And it's it's just so on point. It's like I've been in a lot of stuff. I've been like X-Men, Sonic. a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. And and it's so cute because like the the juror, um, his name is Ronald Gladden, that is the real the real person. He's just such a sweetheart. And the show really ends up becoming really sweet. Like they're not just making fun of him. Like, I don't know. Like you have to watch to see what I'm talking about. But are all the episodes out? They're all out. Like it, is it's it done? done. Okay, I haven't watched all of them. Yeah, you should keep watching. I just, I know. I need it to goes keep from watching. being it's like so hysterically funny. funny to very heartwarming. I, but I don't know. Even if you don't Aww. plan on watching the whole thing, just watch the first two episodes because I mean, oh my god, when the attorneys are like showing those videos of like their opening statements <laughs> in the court. And like you can't get that presentation. And as someone who works at a courthouse, like the amount of technical issues that they're having, like the I was like crying, laughing because it's so accurate. Um, But then the videos that they're showing are like so hysterical. They look at these Sims acting out this scene of this, you know, alleged like you know negligence case, and um, it's it's just great. I love it. Please watch it. It's so good. And they do the whole like interviewing style of the office parks and rec oh, kind yeah. of thing where they show something and like zoom in on someone and ask them. And I just yes, love that. It's, it's kind of like mockumentary <laughs> style. It's, it's yes, fabulous. Love that. Cute. Well, love that. So smash for jury smash. duty. Let us know. Um, I have one okay. too, a quick one since the Met Gala just happened at the time of filming our episode. Um, the Chupette outfits. <laughs> smash your pets. Um, yeah, Chupette. Chupette. I don't know that's how you say it. <laughs> Chupette. Uh, okay. Um, so the the two main ones I feel like we're talking about is what, Doja Cat and Jared Leto? And Jared Leto. Um, yeah. So I guess you can say a general and then you can break it down. <laughs> I mean, okay. In, in ge- I don't know. I'm not doing a general. I'll just do each of them. Um, okay. I think that Doja Cat was generally a smash, although I do think that she looked a little – you actually texted me this. You were like, she looks like Voldemort. 
I thought she looked like Voldemort and it was a pass I, for me. I see. But. I thought it was a vibe because <laughs> she not only was a cat, but she was acting like a cat. Like her interviews, she's like, meow. They're I, like, who are you wearing? Meow, meow. It was annoying. I thought it was fucking funny because a doji cat is hilarious <laughs> to me. Um, I just think her outfit, I think she needed whiskers. I think it would have wouldn't have looked so Voldemort y if she had whiskers. But I understand. Mm-hmm. Or like Whoville. <laughs> it was between Voldemort and Whoville. It did give you a little I mean? like Cindy Lou. Yeah, it did look a little <laughs> like that. But yeah. I love her. And she's a cat. Okay. She's Doja Cat. Um, That's true. But I don't know. Jared and then Leto. Jared Leto. What about his full body furry suit? He's a pass. <laughs> I just – I feel like if anyone else had done that, like if it was Doja Cat in the costume, I would have been like, that's hilarious. But because it's Jared yeah, Leto – that would have been a smash. It's a pass because mm-hmm. I just feel like he's so – he's annoying to me. <laughs> yeah, he's a pass too for me. But I, I like the idea. I will say that I laughed really hard when I saw him come out because I was watching the red carpet live and I was like, oh Yeah, I saw the pictures and I was like, <laughs> no, why? Like I just – Jared yeah. Leto. Well, no one can beat the real thing. So we'll share a picture of Choupette in case you're unfamiliar yeah. with – with the actual cat but she's really cute yeah (laughs) well that's all we have that's all we have oh jinx (laughs) yeah later babes thank you for listening to this episode of licensed to gossip tune in next week for more juicy hot goss with a legal twist this episode is produced by Ryko Theatricals. Follow us on all the socials at License to Gossip and DM us to share your thoughts on our latest debrief. Don't forget, I'm Allie. And I'm Noelle. Later, Later babes. babes.